Amen. I'd ask you to turn with me this evening in the New Testament scriptures to Colossians and to the chapter 1. Colossians and the chapter 1. And if you were with us last Tuesday night, uh, we were in this chapter coming to this letter uh, to the Colossians and we looked at the opening uh, section of this chapter. We read together verses 1 to 8 and in coming to the letter, uh, we asked the question by way of introduction, uh, who wrote the letter? And of course the answer is very simple and very clear the opening line, it is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is the one who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And then the people that he wrote to, and again, that's very simple. He wrote to the Colossians. And as he describes them there in verse 2, uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. And so we know who wrote the book. We know who he wrote to, and then we also ask the question, why? Why did he write the book? What was the purpose of the letter? And he was writing the letter to the believers at Colossae uh, because of the philosophy and the deception that was abroad in the church at Colossae. And of course, they were mingling error along with the truth, and Paul was concerned for the purity of the gospel. And so he's writing to them to address a number of things. And he was bringing them to consider the Savior. And the theme of this epistle is the preeminence of Christ. And he's uplifting, he's magnifying the Savior. And he wants to wander line to every child of God that were complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't need to add anything to the message of redeeming grace of the Lord Jesus. And so we want to come tonight to take up our reading from the ninth verse, and we're coming to the next section in this chapter 1 of Colossians. And the Apostle Paul says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience, and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins." who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, 
whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Amen. We land there at verse 17. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts. In the section that we consider together this evening, we have the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the Colossians. And last week we simply introduced the letter with the opening section. And we noticed the greeting to the church at Colossae. And as he addressed them there in that second verse, you can see how he greeted them as the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ. And so he had that affection and he had that affinity with the people of God that he had heard about at Colossae. And he also had that desire for them in verse 2. And he said, Grace be unto you and peace. And so as he addresses God's people, he brings that opening greeting. And then he showed in verse 3 the gratitude for the church at Colossae. And he says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And so already he begins to mention prayer and he speaks of his thankfulness for them. And we highlight it particularly uh, three different areas in which the apostle was giving thanks. He thanked God, as you see there uh, in the verse 4, your faith in Christ Jesus. And then the love which he have to all the saints. And verse 5, for the hope which is led up for you in heaven. And then these particular graces, the apostle Paul was giving thanks to the Lord. They had faith, they had love, they had hope, and he thanked God for that. And then we finished last time by considering the growth in the church. And verse 6 speaks about that fruitfulness, the gospel which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. And so you can see here the opening uh, message that we brought to uh, the Colossians. And then after that initial introduction, the chapter reverts back to the subject of prayer just where we took up our reading there in the verse 9 and those verses that follow. And you may have noticed in verse 9, right down through to verse 17, it is one complete sentence. And so we read together from the Bible tonight just one sentence. But that sentence contains Paul's prayer for the believers at Colossae. You know, if someone says to us, I'm praying for you, what an encouragement that is to our hearts to know that there's a brother or a sister in the Lord and they're praying for us. What an encouragement it would have been to the Colossians to learn that the great apostle Paul was the one who was praying for them. And we're shown here in the 
verses we've read, the character of Paul's prayer. It's revealed to us here. We've already mentioned that his prayers were characterized by thankfulness. And you can see that in the verse 3, we mentioned that thankfulness to God. And here as he refers in verse 9 to his prayer, we know that it's a prayer of thankfulness for those believers. You can see his faithfulness in prayer as well from verse 9. For this cause we also Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And so he got this report about the church at Colossae and how that work had been established and how it had been founded. And they had a minister called Epaphras who was a faithful minister of Christ. And he has reported to the Apostle Paul about the work. And from the first day the Apostle hears about the work at Colossae, he says, we started to pray since the day we heard of it. We started to pray. Verse 9, he says, and we do not cease to pray. Now, there's faithfulness in the place of prayer. He could say from the very first day right up to now, we don't cease to pray for you. Reminded me of the church in the New Testament when Peter was imprisoned and the church met to pray for Peter. And it tells us in Acts 12 that prayer was made of the church without ceasing. They really laid hold upon the Lord. They were faithful in the place of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5 and the verse 17, it uses those very words. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Prayer that doesn't cease, that's faithfulness in prayer. It's one thing to to pray, and it's another thing to continue in prayer. But Paul says, "We, we cease not. It's going to another level of faithfulness in the place of prayer. And so when you consider the prayer life of the apostle and what an example that would be to us, you can see that his prayer is characterized by thankfulness and by faithfulness, but it's also characterized by earnestness. You look at verse 9 again. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, Do not cease to pray for you and to desire. And it's that word desire which is a strong word and it's expressing a strong desire. It can even be translated to beg, to beg, to ask, to make request, to crave. Vain has his Dictionary of New Testament terms. And in this particular word, Vine says it's used in the New Testament to speak of the lesser asking of the greater. He gives different examples of that. It could be the child asking of the parent. And you know how persistent the child can be when it wants something and the child is asking of the parent it's the lesser asking the greater says it could be the beggar 
And they're asking the passerby and they're begging. But it's of course used as it is here in relation to prayer and coming to ask of the Lord. And here we are the lesser. We're just creatures of the dust. But we can come to the greater and we can ask of the Lord. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here for the church at Colossae. And he has that burning desire, that earnest desire within his heart. And he comes to pray for these Colossians. And as the passage that we read unfolds, it reveals to us something of the content of his prayer. And why it's good to take a book in the Bible, or as it is here, a letter in the Bible, and to read it through, and just to begin to meditate and to study those different expressions and the details that are given to us. The Lord is able to encourage our hearts and enlighten our hearts through his word. What did Paul desire? What was his earnest desire for the believers at Colossae? Well, firstly, we say he wanted them to be filled Christians. He wanted them to be filled. Notice there in the middle of verse 9 that he desired that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That word filled there, it has the idea of fulfillment. And it's also translated in God's word and even in this epistle as complete. And so he wants them to be filled and he wants them to be complete. You glance over to chapter 2 and go down to verse 10 and we have already indicated previously that verse 10 is one of the key verses in this letter. And you can see the words there, and ye are complete in him. That word completes the same word. It's translated filled in the ninth verse. And so that ye are complete in Christ, you're fulfilled in Christ. And that's the idea that Paul is wanting to draw God's people to focus upon the Savior, that you might be filled, filled with Christ. Verse 9 says, be filled with the knowledge of his will, to know the will of God and to be, to be filled with that knowledge in all wisdom in all spiritual understanding, that idea of being just filled with the Lord. You would know the verse in Ephesians 5 and the verse 18, and it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the same word again. To be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the knowledge of His will, and when you see the words there in verse 9, words that the Apostle Paul is praying before the Lord concerning these believers at Colossae, and you can see the word knowledge, and you can see the word wisdom, and you can see the word understanding. And Paul was stepping them through this as he told them what he was praying to the Lord for on their behalf, knowledge. 
they would gain that knowledge of God's word and that they might gain a deeper knowledge of the word. The more they would read it, the more they would meditate upon it. Wisdom. It is said that wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's no good gaining all the knowledge in God's word and not actually applying it in our everyday lives. Wisdom is putting that knowledge into practice and understanding. That's having that spiritual discernment. And where can they find that? That knowledge, that wisdom, that understanding. You look at chapter 2 and the verse 3. He's drawing them to Christ. And he says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. When he wanted them to be filled, and he wanted them to be complete in Christ, and he wanted them to have that knowledge and that understanding, he's saying, You find it all in the Savior. Therefore, he was praying that these Christians would be filled Christians, filled with the Lord. Then secondly, he prayed for them to be faithful Christians. When you look at verse 10, and he says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And so he wants these Christians to be faithful to the Lord. And if their knowledge is deepening and their wisdom is growing and they have a greater understanding and a spiritual discernment, it will impact their walk. It will change the way that they live their Christian lives. It has to have an impact the more knowledge, the more wisdom, the more understanding, it will affect our walk. It will have a practical and a positive impact upon our everyday lives that we might walk worthy. Paul prayed for them to walk worthy. D.L. Moody he likened the Christian to a walking Bible. And he actually said, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. And as others look upon us, we ought to be those walking Bibles. Walking worthy of the Lord. You back up a little in your Bible, you'll see Paul often used this figurative language to describe the Christian life as a walk. And in Ephesians 4 and the verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Walking worthy. Also in 1 Thessalonians and the chapter 2, the apostle uses it again in the 12th verse. And he says that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. 
First Thessalonians 4 and the verse 1, he repeats it. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. That ought to be the desire within the heart of every child of God, that we would walk in such a fashion that we would please the Lord. And Paul was praying for God's people at Colossae that they would have such a spiritual enlightenment within their hearts that it would impact how they would walk. Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Doing that which honors the Lord. But then notice as well in his prayer, Paul prays for them to be fruitful Christians. You look at the latter part of verse 10. He says, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so he's praying for them to be fruitful. We're viewing here the content of Paul's prayer. We're getting a little insight into the petitions that he sent heavenward on behalf of these Colossians. And we're seeing something of a logical progression in the Christian life. Here's the development of the believer. Here's the maturing Christian wisdom. He prayed that they would have wisdom. And he prayed that that wisdom would affect their walk and that their walk would be changed. And having prayed for wisdom and having prayed concerning their walk, he then prays for their work, that ye would be fruitful in every good work. It is a blessing to know that we're justified before God. And we hold very dear that great doctrine of justification by faith alone. But we also know tonight that that justifying faith is never alone. We know that it is always accompanied by good works. Good works will always follow justifying faith. And we are to be fruit-bearing Christians. And that fruitful in every good work is to be evident in our lives. Those around us who would look upon us and see us as those walking Bibles that D.L. Moody would have referred to, they will see our good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus onto good works. And again, it brings us back to the Savior. Because as we abide in him, John's gospel tells us that we'll bring forth fruit. That fruit in our lives that we often refer to, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That fruit that comes from abiding in the Savior and knowing again the fulfillment of chapter 2 and the verse 10 that we're complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We're abiding in him and we're bringing forth that fruit in him. That's what Paul prayed for when he prayed for the believers at Colossae. Then fourthly, we see that he prayed for them to be fortified Christians. You see verse 11, that word strengthened means to be fortified, to be strengthened with all might. could ask the question tonight, where is the Christian that doesn't need this strengthening? The believers at Colossae were going through a turbulent period. They were going through a troublesome time. And they no doubt would have felt uh, the difficulties and the problems bearing heavily upon them. And Paul's praying for them to be strengthened and to be fortified. That word strengthened in the original It's where we get the word in the English, dynamite. That's how strong a word this is. The word in the Greek comes over into the English and we get the word dynamite. Where can we know that strength? It's only in the Lord. It's only from the Lord. Strengthened with all might, listen, according to his glorious power. There's where the strength comes from. It's not the strength of the flesh we know that the arm of the flesh would fail us it's being strengthened with all might according to his glorious power the one who is almighty the one who is all powerful he is able to impart that strength to us it's a good prayer to pray to pray for ourselves we would be strengthened to pray for one another that together we would be strengthened. There were a couple of areas here in verse 11, particular areas where they needed that strength. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering. There's the two areas We all need strength in those areas. The strength of patience. That patience to just patiently endure. That's what it means. And that long suffering, that that self-restraint under provocation and under problems and difficulties, being able to manifest that long suffering which is, of course, a fruit of the Spirit once again. To be able to show love and grace to those around us whenever uh, the pressure is on. Oh, we need to be strengthened in order to be patient and to be long-suffering, to be unswerving in the midst of the severest trials. These are basic areas of our Christianity but areas where we always need strengthened, that we can be more patient and we can be more long-suffering. Notice the last word in verse 11, or the last two words in verse 11. It says, with joyfulness, with joyfulness. 
Now, at times we can exercise patience, but it's hard to exercise it with joyfulness. But that's what Paul was praying for. At times we can be long-suffering, but it's more difficult to be long-suffering with joyfulness, but that's what he was praying for. And so you can see how the Apostle Paul, as he commenced praying for them, and he continued praying for them, and he prayed without ceasing for them, he wanted them to be fortified with such strength that with patience they could be joyful. And with long-suffering, they could be joyful. And Paul testified to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the verse 10, he said to Timothy, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. He said to Timothy, You have known this. You have fully known this. And in the list of graces that the Apostle Paul testifies of, you will find in the list there long-suffering and patience. Paul knew what it was. Paul the prisoner. He knew what it was to exercise patience with joyfulness and long-suffering with joyfulness. And so we've had a little flavor tonight of how the Apostle Paul prayed for these Colossians. And I draw your attention to it that it might be a blessing to your heart and an encouragement in the place of prayer and would give us help in seeking the Lord. And then his prayer, you will see there, verses 13 and 14, he's reminding them of what the Lord has done for them. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Paul is drawing them to consider the work of Christ, the redemptive work of Christ, drawing them to think about the precious blood that he shed. And our time is gone tonight, but that's a good place to pause. That's a good place to finish tonight. That's a good place to draw strength from, to think about the work of Christ at Calvary, to consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts tonight. We'll turn uh, to another hymn together. It's the hymn 640. The hymn 640. O breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive thy church with life and power. O breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit thy church to meet this hour. We'll stand as we sing, and perhaps we'll sing the first three verses only of the hymn, and we'll keep the other verses for the end of the service.
Amen. I do want to thank each one for coming along tonight to our midweek prayer meeting and Bible study. And as we come now to seek the Lord together in prayer, I'm going to ask one of our elders, Mr. Robert Murphy, if he would lead us off tonight to the throne of grace. And once again, we appeal to God's people uh, to pray one after another. And let's maintain that golden chain of intercession this evening. We remember Thursday night for our Kirk session, the elders meeting at 8 p.m. And then on Friday morning, the tiny treasures from 9.30. And in the evening time, the youth fellowship, Friday night at 8 p.m. The Lord's Day, the Sabbath school and Bible class at 10.15. And then our services on the Lord's Day, the morning at 11.30, the evening at 7 p.m. Do remember the sick and the elderly. And do remember those who were sorrowing. And do remember, please, our students and our missionaries and the wider witness of our church and denomination. But we'll call Mr. Murphy to lead us.